Motivation. It's a word that all of us who are sitting in this room know, because regardless of how old you are, motivation is part of what keeps us going. It's part of what makes us get to the next point. So you ask yourself the question, what motivates you? What would motivate me to do something? What are the things that bring about greater motivation in me? And so we're going to be looking at the prophet Joel, who's a minor prophet in the Old Testament. And I'll give you some time. You can flip to the page in your pew Bible, which is 848, or you can read it in your bulletin, open it up on your Bible app, or you can simply listen. But the word for us today comes from Joel. We're going to pray. I'm going to bring some things for you to highlight, and then we're going to get into Joel. It's going to take you some time to get to Joel, because I don't know if you've opened him in the last year, decade. It's been a while. So let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we come before you eager to know what you put in front of us so that we are motivated to go to that next level, that next step to bring us further in our faith, further in our work, further closer to you. In your name we pray, amen. Something that motivated this toddler that was in the Target shopping cart, flailing their arms, as you can imagine, and I'm sure you've seen the situation. If you're good, at the end of this trip, we'll go down the toy aisle, and you'll get a small toy, if you're good. I'm sure many of you, those words have come out of your mouth or will come out of your mouth. You'll get a small toy, if you're good. A cookie, maybe. And for teenagers, it's totally different. The cookie thing doesn't work. A small toy, it's rubbed off on them. So they want social time, electronics, or food. I usually go straight for the food. That's how we have so many middle school and high schoolers coming to our youth programs. Food is key. And for adults, maybe it's just a nap. I don't know. (laughs) But the point is, is you're asking yourself the question, what motivates me? And so we get to Joel, and he's talking to this group of Israelites, and he's trying to say, what is their motivation? What is their motivation? cookie, their toy, their nap, their electronic 30 minutes after dinner, and they finished all their homework time. And so, actually what tantalizes the ears of the Israelites is that they're going to be able to have a party. And this party is going to be like no other party that you've ever been to. Of course, our parties have things like balloons and streamers and invitations, but yet on that invitation, God is invited. So listen for these things, okay? They're going to get early rain. Now you might think, I'm not, I don't really like rain. I know what it does. But to them, that meant food. Early rain meant food. They're going to get repayment for all of the things that were lost while the locusts were devastating the land. You all know what locusts are? Little, big, big bugs don't like them. They devastate harvests. They devastate the land. So that means 
no locusts. They're going to have money and food. God's Spirit is going to be a superstar at said party. And you know when the Holy Spirit around, it's a big party. Notice also that everyone is invited, and all this wealth is going to be shared, not just to the kings and the queens and the prophets and the priests, like happens so frequently in times of old. If something was getting given out, it only went to the high upper class. But this gift is going to be given to the servants, even the slaves. Sons and daughters will prophesy, old men will dream dreams, and young men will see visions. And of course, the last thing, God will show God's self. I want you to listen for these things. This message is for people who need to repent. And what's going to get them to repent? the motivation that they're going to get a party. This message is for drunkards. This message is for farmers. This message is for priests. This message is for you. Here are the words of the Lord spoken to us from the prophet Joel, chapter 2, starting at verse 23. O children of Zion, be glad and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given the early rain for your vindication. He's poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the later rain as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain and vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I, God, will repay you for the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, the cutter, my great army which I sent against you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. The praise, you will praise the name of God who has dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, that I, the Lord, am your God, and there is no other, and my people shall never again be put to shame. And then afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Sons and your daughters, they'll prophesy. Old men will dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions, even on the male and the female slaves. In those days, I will pour out my spirit. I will show portents in the heaven and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape. As the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be whom the Lord calls. This is the word of the Lord. Like I said before, we don't know much about the prophet Joel. He was a minor prophet, and if you've been here in the weeks past, we've listened to the words of Jeremiah, who is a major prophet. Think of the comparison of about, Jeremiah has about 30 or so chapters to his name, and Joel has about six. Joel is a minor prophet that has no particular date and time for which he speaks. There is no great thing 
or king or event that happens that he mentions. We can kind of date what he says versus what other minor prophets say. And then if you look around and you look at the biblical commentaries that it's around the 9th century B.C. But you know what? It doesn't matter when it is because the word of the Lord through the prophet Joel is timeless. You ready for this story? It's a familiar one. God's people have sinned then and now. God's people need to repent then and now. God forgives then and now. And there's a great celebration and praise to God then and now. And if you think about all of the events that get the people to the point when they need to repent, you think of the part of the story where God's character comes around to a wrath-filled God. You can even hear it in the way that we talk about some familiar Old Testament studies. The wrath of God is something that we just harbor on. The fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. Wrathful God. The flood story. Moses leading the Israelites in the wilderness. Daniel in the lion's den. David and Bathsheba. Even the way that we call to memory the stories that are familiar in the Old Testament makes us think about the fact that we're sinners, deserve judgment. What if we thought not so much about the wrath of God, but twisted it and thought more about what God wants us to think of God like? God is a God of love. Same stories, different theology behind the way that we name them. God is revealed in the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve. God makes a covenant with Noah. God provides for the Israelites in the desert. God keeps Daniel safe. And yet, not a perfect man, God still uses King David. When we rename the stories to what God has as love, it changes our theology, it changes our perspective, it changes our thinking of who God is. And God is a God of love. Our focus can be skewed, especially when we live in a world like this. I'm still wrestling what happened in June in Orlando when so many people were killed. Or in the bombing in Brussels. I don't have some specific cosmic timeline that helps me understand the Paris bombing of almost a year ago. It just seems like we live in a world with devastation and destruction. I don't even want to go to think about a wrath-filled God in any one of those situations. And God doesn't want us to either. The church doesn't have a complete or a thorough explanation or answer, but that doesn't mean that the church can't be a place where we dialogue, where we think about these things, where we wrestle with it, adults, teens, and children, all at different levels, I'm sure. 
This is a place where we can be challenged by who God is. Think of 13-year-old Steve who attended church every Sunday with his parents. And this particular Sunday, he stayed after the service to ask his pastor a pressing question. The pastor replied, yes, God does know everything. But Steve was haunted by the plight of African children who were suffering, and he held up a magazine, and he said, does God know about this? On the cover were starving children in Africa. Does God know about this, pastor? And the pastor gave a response. Steve, I know you don't understand, but yes, God knows about it. Was Steve going to be satisfied with that answer? Steve wasn't. Steve walked out of that congregation that day and never worshipped in a Christian church again. Now I have to say, on behalf of all pastors, that answer wasn't bad. But it is that. It was more of an answer. Maybe Steve wasn't actually looking for an answer. And it's a shame that the pastor gets such a bad rap, but it's mostly because Steve became very, very famous. It's Steve Jobs, the CEO of Apple. But the answer was so short-sighted. That's not what Steve was wanting answered. The pastor failed to grasp the question behind Steve's question. Steve wasn't merely looking for an existential question about nature of suffering. Whether conscious or subconscious, Steve was actually asking about his own personal suffering. Steve wondered how God could allow a 13-year-old boy to have so much suffering in his life already through bullying at school, struggles at home, and most painfully, that his parents left him up for adoption. Steve was trying to make sense of it all, the pain in the world, and he wanted his pastor to listen and to help him make sense of his own pain. The cry of 13-year-old Steve is our cry. It's the Israelites' cry in the time of Joel. Oh God, how can we make sense of this pain? And the answer, it doesn't lie in the pain or the suffering, or even in an answer. But the search for peace involves looking at God's promises. We're not left in utter silence and without hope. God is a judge and a ruler, but also a compassionate creator who hears our groaning. You can't look at the way of the world and be able to make a list of God's purposes where you see beautiful things here and there or go outside in the seemingly fall day but it's inappropriately hot. I see God out there. It's beautiful. You can't pick and choose because just the other day I was sitting down with a friend whose husband had passed away several years ago and she was still wrestling with it. Is God not there? Also, God's presence is everywhere and he's part of the trouble. He's part of the solution. 
just looks where we're looking. We often in the Western world think of God as some celestial CEO. And if there was a problem happening, which often happens, we want to fire God. How could God let these things happen? But the way that God is involved is so mysterious for us to grasp. And so when we read the stories of Jesus, and I'm jumping from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we see how God is involved in the story. He's been in the middle of the mess the whole time. Joel, without us knowing, kind of catches us by guard, actually describes two messes centuries apart. The mess his own people, the Israelites to whom he's speaking, are in. And another mess. He's describing the early church. They're in similar situations. The Israelites in Judah are to celebrate and be motivated by this party that will be happening. And the Israelites, they don't know it's coming either, but they have a party to celebrate themselves. You see, there was this event that happened every year where the Jews came to the temple. And it just happened, and it was that time of year, and it was just happened that Jesus had died, risen, and ascended into heaven. And they were lost without a leader. But at this point, the church was able to celebrate a great party, the birthday of the church, Pentecost, where it was an amazing feat where people heard the words of Peter in their own language, and seemingly the Spirit had come over the crowd, and there were flames of tongues sitting on top of their heads so that they could understand the word of God. And just as the Old Testament Israelites heard the word of God and felt God's presence and were allowed to celebrate and were motivated by that, so were the people on the day of Pentecost. And so are we today, filled with the Holy Spirit, understanding that God has a bigger plan and there's bigger mysteries out there, and that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit Step by step is how we'll get there. And maybe Joel belongs to a period where there wasn't much visioning or prophesying. Maybe the people in the time of Jesus hadn't felt God's presence in a while either until Jesus came and lived among them. Maybe you, sitting here, haven't felt a vision or God's presence in your life. And all you need to do is breathe in and breathe out the Spirit of God and allow for God's presence in your life to be that motivation to see God as a loving God. Amen and amen.